1: Welcome, everybody, to the Finding Hermes program. So welcome to see you. I hope you're ready to go through those doors with the God of the mind, lay your cards on the table, and finally find your authentic self. And with us, we have, a ple- we have the pleasure of somebody whose work, I feel, will certainly get you to find your authentic self, and that is Judy Wilkins-Smith. Judy, thank you very much for coming on Finding Hermes.
2: Miguel, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.
1: Pleasure is all ours. And yes, we want to unpack your work, which I again really dovetails or cognates with a lot of the work I've done on this podcast. But uh, some of the work that you like and is so relevant for today is our wonderful culture of victimhood. What is going on with that, Judy? And uh, I'll admit, you know, it's a nice drug. Victimhood is a great drug, especially in my days of drinking and doing drugs. And before recovery, it was a wonderful drug.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a lovely place to be because you don't have to do anything much. You get to celebrate being where you are. You get to have a good reason for it. I mean, if you if you um, speak to anybody who's in that mindset, they're very angry if you want to question it. Uh, it's like, I, this is mine. but what it really does is it allows you to belong and, and there's a large group of victimhood consciousness. I mean, it's everywhere. So you really feel like, yeah, you know what? <sighs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so you feel in essence less lonely or maybe it's a form of currency. I mean, why do think, people hold I, on? I
2: think you, you hit two really smack on the head. Yes. It's less lonely because now you know, it's not just you. But it's definitely, definitely a currency. I mean, you can't be ugly to me if I'm a victim, really. You know?
1: <laughs> yeah, especially in the especially in the society. And and what about in your life? Maybe tell the audience do a little bit, a little bit about your uh, superhero story, uh, and maybe how you decided one day I'm no longer a victim.
2: You know, I think I grew up. Very fortunately, I had a a father whose father left when he was very young and he had to to run the house very young and um, a mom who came from parents who just you didn't have excuses. My grandfather was the one who was known. He hauled me off the tennis court because I told somebody you cheated. And he said Mm -hmm. to me, if you can't play properly and you can't accept the ups and the downs, you don't belong on this court. And I think of him so often because we haven't learned that sometimes you may lose a match. And there there are really good lessons in that. And sometimes you win. So, And then, of course, growing up in in South Africa, uh, I was an English-speaking woman in, in Afrikaans group. And they said, we don't speak your language. You'll have to learn. And you know what? For me, it was if I want to work here, that's what I've got to do. And I always think, but who came out richer? I did. They didn't. So I think I was pretty much raised with a stop, stop having a pity party and get on. Now, um, moving here was probably the closest that I felt to that. Because we moved here, had a business crash. And then my father was killed. And it was like, life was not pretty at all. And I started writing books it was either write books or go crazy so i figured write books was probably a better idea <laughs> but it, at some point it occurred to me that i could really stay in this soup for a long time and it would be fine and everybody would be sorry for me but it wasn't very nice i didn't enjoy it particularly and i knew that there was something better and i think that that started it for me and it, it was just looking at what is possible what is possible and for me pretty soon it became very obvious that I did not want to stay there. And then I began to realize that, hold on a minute, we're in a very big, deep sleep with much of humanity thinking they're victims. Instead of, And by the way, the opposite of victim is not perpetrator, it's mastery. Mm -hmm. And so we weren't getting into the mastery side. We weren't going in and saying, what am I capable of doing? What's possible? We're going... And I just, I flat got tired, but it was unpleasant.
1: But in our society, Judy, it seems that the victimhood idea or the idea of suffering for strength is very important. And we don't have to look very far. I mean, we can look at the stories of Jesus, obviously. Moses never made it to the promised land after all the work he did. Mohammed was on the run and lost. I mean, Gandhi, everybody everybody has suffered our heroes and we are always taught suffering is strong for your soul. So do you think we've taken it too far or what's wrong?
2: (laughs) We've taken it too far. I go back to your one where you said, look at Jesus. What do we do? The first thing we think of with Jesus is Jesus on the cross. Mm -hmm. It's only later that we think about all the miracles that happened. And this is true for all of them. Okay. So there were bumps and bruises, which is, Tends to be part of life. That's an adventure. An adventure isn't, oh gee, I sort of set my sail and off we go. But but look at how far they came and what they did. And I think that's the part that we keep missing. So we invest in the misery and we say, and I've gotten into trouble for it, we say suffering is sacred, and I say no. Suffering is sacred and it can bring you strength. If you keep sitting in it, it's stupid. We need to wake up. If I'm going to suffer, what the heck am I doing this for? What is the outcome I'm looking for? How am I going to use this for strength?
1: How do you use it for strength? I mean, yeah, the Buddha said our life is suffering, but people forget the part that he woke up. He defeated suffering.
2: (laughs) Exactly exactly right. Because when you look at it, you, you understand that you're buying into a very deep humanity pattern. We've been taught, should suffer, should never uh, uh, be too big. Um, It's sacred to do this. You should be humble. And we misrepresent humility or humbleness. Mm. When you stand in the limelight and you're, you're front and center, that's a very humble place to be. Being big is a very humble place to be because you're actually taking responsibility for growing a life that can be inspirational and, and create something bigger. It is a super humble place to be, but what do we do? We we go, no, no, no. I should suffer. I should be less than I should be so humble that I've got nothing. It's not humble people. It's not humble.
1: Yeah. This is a society today. And do you feel it's not even people suffering and holding on as a form of currency, but also, projecting that suffering on others i think that's a oh, big one we're so okay. unconscious we don't even know we accuse our family and others on social yep. media of the very things that we need to work on
2: yes we do and we say social media is evil who made it that way somebody asked me that yesterday and I said to hold on do you realize what a potent force for good and creativity social media could be But no, we think we'll go do the, the not so smart things. We'll go and do the not so smart things. And then we'll say, but, but I'm fighting for, or I'm suffering. Stop fighting. Why are we fighting? Why do we need to fight? I'd like to actually retire that word.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, uh, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, something beautiful to watch, uh, or at least I learn a lot about myself because I see some of my worst characteristics out there on social media, and I can reflect on it. And I've also taught myself that most of the time when I'm angry at somebody, I know I'm projecting something that's wrong inside of me that I have to look into, and I can do better.
2: And is it something that's wrong with you? I'm, I'm going to challenge you the teeniest bit on that. I don't think there's something wrong with you. I think it's a part of you that's going, hey, could we grow it a little bit here? Could we change it up a bit? I think you're adding layers when that happens. I think that's the other one that we think of is that we're broken. We're not broken, people. (laughs) We're not broken. We're beings adding layers. And yes, there are. I, I get the argument for yes, but if you watch this person, they're definitely broken. Maybe they're not awake. Maybe they're not aware but we're adding layers. And we're at choice. This is the other piece. We're at choice all the time. You may not like the choices, but we're at choice. And when we start to realize we're at choice, those are the people who rise up.
1: Definitely self-awareness is important. But at the same time, Judy, and you work and you do a lot of work on this, is the idea of trauma. Trauma that those permanent wounds that we may not even know we have. I mean, uh, how do you tell people about how to deal with trauma or even recognize that there is trauma?
2: Uh, well, first of all, it could it can also be multi-generational trauma, in which case it's deeply unconscious. But it's there all the time. It's in your language. It's in your, your actions. If you listen to people's language, we're tackling on ourselves all day long. The idiosyncratic language that we use, the inflated language or the dogmatic language, anything that's a little bit different, you want to pay attention to. Uh, Actions that are absolutely fired up or a little bit inflated. One of the clearest signs that there's trauma or that there's something going on is uh, when somebody has a, a response to an event that's disproportional to the event. Uh, you have somebody who says, um, you know what? My husband eats with a fork. I'm going to kill him. Well, OK, that's a, that's a little rough. What's going on? And then we find out great grandfather sat and ate with a fork while his grand, at least his daughter almost died. OK, so now we have sense. But it all lives in there. And so our ancestry is is kind of this whole system of clues that's trying to tell us what's going on. And and also, if we're finding ourselves jump for no good reason, well, when did that start? What was happening for you at the time? What do you tell yourself about it? What are your feelings about it? What actions do you take? These are all signs of trauma or multi-generational trauma, but they're also pivot points, and this is what we miss. They're trying to say to you, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, and let's see what else this can become. So I have people who come in and say, everybody in my family's angry. I don't know what my purpose is. Uh, You just declared your purpose. Your purpose may well be peace. If everybody's angry, what is yours? Everybody's poor. What am I supposed to do? Get rich? It's all sitting there. We have all of these clues that we keep missing.
1: That makes sense because after all, uh, other cultures are very much into... uh honoring your ancestors, remembering your ancestors, right. always communicating with your ancestors. And in the West, we basically lost that. But now, wouldn't you say, and of course, you've mentioned this before, scientifically, we are getting down the sins of our father, as the Bible says, or the karma of our ancestors. It's really? scientific.
2: Yeah, what we're doing is is not the sins of our father. We're getting the patterns of our father. We've labeled it the sins of our fathers. That's not true. It's the pattern that's coming down and it's saying to you, what can you change me into? So what I say to people is look at it this way. What's come down now was a solution at some point for a problem. But when a problem out, at, at least when a solution outlives its usefulness, it becomes a problem. So what was once a solution is now a problem. And it's asking you to change it so that you find a new solution.
1: And so you're saying, what would be example? A grandfather with the fork? What about something, addiction or anger? These were, you might say, coping skills that our ancestors exactly. had. Exactly. And they, they, it, it allowed them to survive. And of course, that happens, right? If my great-grandfather was being sexually abused, he disassociated. And that probably got passed down. And my family is going, why is everybody disassociated? Yeah,
2: every is I don't know what's wrong with them. But every time we get in the bedroom, boom, he's out the window. He, he just can't stay present. Well, who else did? Okay, so once you look at that and you go, okay, that was my grandfather. Um, when I do a constellation, which is a 3D version of, of your issue, what I would do is pick a representative for your grandfather and your father and you and then a disassociation representative, and then start showing you in 3D, look, this is what's happening, and actually get you to say to your grandfather, hey, this doesn't belong to me. This happened to you, but I'm still carrying it. I see that it happened to you, and I can give that its place, but I can't carry it, and I need to do something different. And so what happens then is you're seeing it, you're hearing it, you're talking it, you're standing in it and you have this embodied experience that creates a, a strong aha moment. And it begins rewiring the brain and the body in the moment. And you'll actually see people jolt and have that moment. And then they will often say to me, it's, I've had 20 years worth of therapy. How did we do this in two minutes? I, well, make it an hour because it, it takes about an hour. What they've done is they've had an embodied experience, multi sensory and so they've been able to turn off the old pattern and on the new pattern and because the brain has told the body a story that the body can believe that becomes the new truth that's
1: yeah that's a, that's really well said because in my therapy or what I do jungian therapy active imagination i've had these encounters where I have to go to the past and I have to talk to my dad who was you know an alcoholic a violent man now I love him to death he's the most wonderful person in the world but I had to go back in time and have these conversations and hug him write him notes I had to go back to my childhood self and hug him and tell it you know it's not your fault you don't have to carry this so this is even taking it much but it's even a bigger cleansing uh, ritual which i believe again i'm all about the ancestors so the question judy which i'm sure you get a lot and uh, let me bring myself in uh my dad again he had his demons but he lost his father as a young person and he never spoke about his past it's almost like he cut himself off right. from his past on my portuguese side we have ancestors that were secret Jews and they were very mysterious. And then they, they finally sold out and became Catholics. And so very secretive connections, perhaps to Knights Templar. And even though my family has spent 40 years researching, they still fight because it's so, again, secretive. So the question is, and I feel there's somebody calling me, there's trauma that I need to look back both from my father's Irish side and my Portuguese side, but I'm like, how do I work on it until I know what's going on? My dad's not, unless he comes in a dream, he's not going to tell me about the suffering and abuse he had as a child. How do no, we find but
2: out? He, you, you don't know that, but what you do know is that his father wasn't there. Mm. And that creates a very big gap for a kid, especially if they cut it off. So the first thing I would do is I would set you up in at an event. If we we're doing a live event, I would have you, I would have your dad, and I would have his father. Because he's been excluded. The grandfather has been excluded. And the grandfather needs to be re-membered into the family. He's, a, he's very important. In systemic work, we know that what you exclude becomes a pattern that expands and repeats. So you'll find that there are missing people all over, or missing men, or the men can't stay around. Um, and so when we give grandfather his place, You'll suddenly find dad gets a little bit more or the representative, and you would probably find that you have a reaction. I'm watching you smile as I'm speaking. Now, now the men are, are back where they, they need to be. And you, you, the one who who I would say, say to your grandfather, I see you. Nobody talks about you, but I do. And I see you, and I give you your place. And because you have your place, I have my place. And that's that's your, your beginning one. But when you do genealogy as well, it's not just about where you belong. It's about how you belong and what events happened in your genealogy because those events will all come in. There's another part when you talk about the, the missing Jewish people. I've worked where people swap religions and quite often the way that I pick it up is they will say, I had one who said to me, I am very, 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 a very Christian like and I said to him okay I need you to go and do some genealogy for me and just come back and tell me what you find he comes back he goes apparently my great-grandfather was the chief cantor in one of the it appears I may be Jewish so he he went to Atlanta and he said to the guy look I'm, I'm very Christian but apparently I'm very Jewish so he has two sides of his house one is this and one is the other, but it's it's the bringing of together and the including and the remembering. And for you, there are lots of missing people and lots of mysteries around missing people. So you're very likely in your life to be the one who goes looking for people or looking into the mystery because there is so much mystery you want to know. So you're switching the pattern from there is mystery and we don't know to I'm going through doors and we will know. And so it's no surprise that you're doing what you're doing.
1: Really well said. And I can't wait to uh, practice this, Judy. And it's interesting on a side note and it's a little anecdote, but uh, we always had this growing up. We had a, you know, the typical racist uncle and, you know, my brothers and cousins would walk in and we'd be like, Oh, the Jews are the problem with Portugal. The Jews. Are, and we'd be like, Oh, God, you know, we we just walk away, but instead of hearing him rant, once the genealogy came back about our ancestors, he was like, no more about the Jews, but it's the Muslims who are causing the problem. Oh, so somebody so, so- had to be
2: the problem. <laughs> See, that's the
1: thing. It's not like my uncle was a racist or a bigot. He just had to blame some other people on his problems.
2: So then what you want to ask this uncle is, so you have problems and it's somebody else's fault. Who was the original person whose fault it was? Because what he's talking about is he saying, in our family, there are victims and there are perpetrators. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have victim and perpetrator dynamics in your family, you can see that express as um, addicts. You can see that express in bipolar. Mm-hmm. You can see it uh, expressed in schizophrenia. Uh, you can see people who are OCD. And it's all to do with the victim-perpetrator piece because what's happening is the victim's been excluded The perpetrator's been excluded, and systems don't like that. One of the first rules in this work is everybody has a right to belong. It doesn't matter whether it's your Jewish uncle or your Muslim auntie. They all belong. And if anybody's right to belong is denied, someone from a later generation begins to repeat that life or lifestyle in an attempt to bring awareness to what's missing.
1: What do you mean by systems?
2: family sorry family systems in your family system and in in organizational systems in fact in all systems cultural systems those three those rules apply everybody has a right to belong if the r- right to belong is denied somebody else is going to start taking on that role there is a ranking in all systems and if you exclude it all it creates patterns that expand and repeat and they just keep getting bigger and bigger so over time Details of original events may fade, but the symptoms will get louder and louder. Um,
1: if you don't address it, of course, exactly. this trauma, what our ancestors are hoping us to reconcile, it's not going to go away. And as you said, uh, the body don't lie. It will manifest in the body. Sickness, addiction. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Else. There's a gentleman, I think his name is Bessel van der Kolk. And he says the body keeps count or the body keeps score. Yeah. And the body keeps score.
1: And um, what about the idea of epigenetics? Which Love are, epigen- well, Could you share with the audience about that and how it supports what you're saying about passing things down?
2: Sure. So you've got your genetic, you've got your genome, your genetic code. You've also got triggers on those those cells. And if you have an event that is significant enough, it creates an imprint that becomes the blueprint for generations of subsequent behavior. It also starts to trigger the activation or deactivation of things in in the genetic um, genome. So, So what it does is it then expresses or doesn't express some of what's there. So that's one of the ways that you can inherit emotional DNA. The other way to inherit it, of course, is Well, dad said, grandfather said, great-grandfather said, well, dad felt, great-grandfather felt, well, dad didn't, grandfather did. So there are those two ways that you can inherit this emotional DNA. But it is powerful and it is potent and it affects the physical DNA.
1: How far back can we go with our ancestors? I mean, obviously, Uh for example... You know, there's a statistic if your ancestors were people and 25% died during an invasion or World War II or something, there was a permanent trauma with the people. So right. this trauma can go pretty far back or would you tell people oh, no, to stick can, to your oh, no, grandparents?
2: No, it, can, no, it can go far back. It depends on what's happening. It can go very far back. What, what it's asking for is I am a pattern and I'm trying to show you what's, what's off. See me so that you can turn me around because we are the change agents. We're the one that our systems, our family systems, organizational systems are waiting for. If we don't wake up, our children get to do it or their children get to do it. So it can go It can go far back, especially if it is a really strong. If you look at the Holocaust, they, they're still doing studies on that. If you look at the Great Dutch Hunger Winter, it goes back far.
1: So even in an event like um, 9-11, people can still be uh, trying to work that out.
2: Well, in 9-11, they actually studied mothers who were pregnant at the time that it happened. And they looked at their PTSD markers and those were elevated. And then they checked the children out who, who they'd been carrying and their PTSD markers are also elevated. So, yeah, it's we're very well aware of that at this point.
1: Amazing. What about, um, but,
2: but it's there for a reason, because if there is an event, you are the antidote. It's why it's going to be elevated until somebody goes, stop, let's change.
1: I think that's an essential part, Judy, uh, as I've learned late in my life, uh, the, these, this trauma, our ancestors, our childhood self, uh, No matter what it is, it's all speaking to us at once. And it's not trying to hurt us. It just wants a seat at the table. Once you let them sit down, they'll leave your body alone. They'll leave your psyche alone. And when you listen, that's when the beauty starts, right?
2: It's actually, they won't even leave you alone. And you're exactly right. They're not trying to harm you. They're trying to elevate you. They're trying to show you it's time to take a next step. When, when you see them, you give them their place. And instead of becoming that irritant, they become a source of wisdom. Now you know what to do and what not to do because it's right there for you. So I always say to people, your family systems, your systems, the universe is not there to knock you down. It's got your back. It's trying to elevate you and you keep resisting.
1: Yeah, so those bad thoughts in the middle of the night or that urge to binge uh, Fritos or Doritos, it's its communication. If we listen to it, if yes. we listen to our soul, that's where the answers are.
2: It's absolutely communication. When you're doing something like binging Fritos, listen to what you're doing when you do that. Ask yourself, what am I doing this for? Because I'm lonely. Who was lonely? Not just me. Who was lonely? I'm doing this because I'm upset and I'm angry. And when I'm angry, I soothe with food. Who had to soothe with food? That's where you begin to to understand the answers. Is it just me or did it begin further back?
1: What about this question, Judy? Because we're talking a lot about ancestors and ourselves and trauma and all that. This is kind of a high level question, but. I love to talk about this because the show deals with philosophy and uh, mysticism. But do you think we there is an authentic self? Because uh, sometimes I see Miguel Connor is who I think I am is this little fraction, and the rest of me is this giant ocean. Again, ancestors, trauma, uh, my spiritual side, and there is no real Miguel Connor. What, do, what what's your attitude on this, or when somebody brings I it up? Think about
2: or, that, I think. I think we're pretty limitless beings. I think that there is a me being me and aware of me. But, but the more inner work we do and the more of this kind of work we do, the more we discover there, there are multi layers of us and multiple facets of us, of me, of who I am. I just know that in my awareness right now, if I was given a brain and I was given an opportunity, I don't want to waste it. This is an adventure. I want to take it as far as I can. I want to push the envelope as high as I can. Um, Do I think there's an authentic self? I really think there are many aspects of the authentic self. And I think we're, we're looking to develop all of those and see, again, how far we can go
1: exactly yeah so maybe it's just maybe it's just the wrong question and again we are not just taking care of ourselves we're taking care of our family our ancestors are counting on us our the world is
2: counting on us
1: our descendants are already counting on us it's like don't pass this shit on to me sorry
0: Exactly.
2: exactly and and then as well what what are you capable of doing and becoming It's not that Steve Jobs or or Walt Disney or Bill Gates or or any of those were these people imagine that they were born to be special. No, they weren't. They chose. You're not born to something. You choose. You're not a chosen one. You choose. When you choose your purpose, you then choose how far you're going to take that purpose. But it's not you were sitting on a lily pad and something floated past and sprinkled you with pixie dust and you went purple. No, you choose. What's so special about
0: Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are
2: high
1: in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. It's probably important uh to mention, and I certainly talk a lot about this is not just our choice, but each one of us has a purpose and an important purpose, wouldn't you think? We just yes. have to find we were put on this earth for you know to heal the universe, to heal the world, and we have to find that purpose, but of course we have to find ourselves first.
2: Well, and sometimes, sometimes. We find our purpose, and in the purpose, we find ourselves. So, you know, people will say to me, I don't know what my purpose is. How am I supposed to know? And I say to them, it's easy. Seriously, what do you want to stop, and what do you want to start? There it is. Now start taking steps. Yeah, but that's not the grand purpose. No, no, that unfolds as you walk. It doesn't say, here I am, my child, come walk towards me. It says, "Oh, I'm here and I'm waiting. You better do something if you want to find me."
1: Follow your gut sometimes. Or what did you say? Uh, you want to find your purpose? What is a child that you did that made the made the hours seem seem like minutes? And if you I find what you're that. doing, that's your purpose. You might have been building Lego. You might have been drawing. You might have been organizing a game with the kids. But that's where the answer is.
2: It is. It's in the answer is in what you love, what you're passionate about. And it doesn't always show up immediately. Because I know for me doing the work that I'm doing, I started doing this as a means of survival. It was as I got into it, and I kept saying yes, and I kept saying yes, and things unfolded that it became a passion. It wasn't that it was, I thought it was dumb to go do this kind of work, because I'd basically been talking to people my whole life and why was that going to be of any value to anybody anyhow oh well might have been that something was trying to get your attention back there but I really never saw it as purpose until I chose and plugged in and we have to make that choice
1: what about the idea that which I also tell people is that the brain is an amazing tool or what's the saying the brain is a it's a great servant but a terrible master but it is a great tool and all of us can heal our brain all of us can maximize and optimize your brain you wouldn't say that too because i remember that was one of my victimhood things when i got out of rehab i was like oh man i did so many drugs my brain is destroyed why even if i'm sober why go on and then of course i learned no
2: uh-uh. There's reboot. such a lovely no,
1: neuroplasticity.
2: That's it, neuroplasticity. I, I don't know if you've seen the the. I think she was a neuron or is a neurologist. The one who had that massive stroke, mm-hmm. wiped out uh, almost one hemisphere, and she watched herself and built it back. And you can. The brain is an incredible, incredible um, gift and you want to maximize it, it really is about optimizing your brain. Here's the other thing. I would say it's also about challenging myths. I'm all about busting myths. When somebody says to me, well, you know, you can't do that. I'm like, oh, really? Why not? Well, you know, you shouldn't. What What do they say? Um, if you're doing spiritual work or inner work, you shouldn't charter it. Said who? I'm not playing that. I don't. If you're you're stuck in the middle of a common myth, challenge the myth, because we teach ourselves what the truth is, but it's not the truth. It's what we've made the truth. And when they say, well, you know, nice people don't have money, not true. When they say uh, you can't have a relationship unless you give up everything else, who said? (laughs) Challenge, challenge. The things that you tell yourself are true, really challenge them. You're going to be surprised.
1: Reminds me of also, again, I'm, I'm talking about my dad. And again, I I love my dad. Yeah, so much is, yep. I can't wait to meet my grandfather now and do some work with him. But he would be that way. It's the idea of beliefs that we unconsciously adopt. And whenever he was around, if he wasn't drinking or if he was, uh, he would travel, disappear in Africa for months at a time, whatever but he would be always be worried about money and he would act like we were on the verge of starvation. And as a kid, I would look around. It's like, no, I don't think we're going to, and he's all like Hamlet worried about money. And that sort of idea got imprinted with me. And I've all, and I've done a lot of work on that and thinking that it's the apocalypse again, victimhood. And like you, I just realized money is just energy. I'll take your energy, but I'll give that energy. So these are the beliefs we, can, we have to recognize and sort of deprogram.
2: Right. And money, by the way, is one of my favorite things. I'm actually doing a live event in November at Disney World. It's, it is money is not a commodity. It is a relationship. Mm-hmm. And money is a wise friend. Money is a mentor. Money is an incredible wise being. But we are not taught that. We're taught that it's an or. You can have love or money. You can have kindness or money. It's always ethics or money. And money sits here and goes, well, fine. Apparently, I'm the bad guy. But when you discover I'm not, I'm here to play.
1: These people who gain so much money and lose their humanity, it's not the money. It's not uh, the money.
2: They're making all sorts of choices. Think about it this way. The internet is incredible. It connects us. The internet is evil. It seduces us. It depends on the human that is doing what the human is doing. It's got pretty much nothing to do with the internet or money. Money is a synonym for just about everything
1: in the world. I always like to talk about the myth of Prometheus, the fire of the gods. Yeah, it's going to keep you warm, but it's going to burn you at times. So
2: it will if you're not smart with it if you're not smart with with your fire if you're not smart with money yeah you're going to get burned it's like the internet if you if you're not smart with it you're going to get burned it's like social media social media is powerfully good but can be used to be powerfully bad it depends on the operating system
1: yeah, and uh, our intention. I mean, look at something like the train. It got us across continents, and it did great for commerce, but it was also full of people shooting buffalo and Native Americans out there. So it's it's a double-sided, double-edged sided, sword, and we, it's, we just have...
2: It's a double-edged sword, and I couldn't agree more. It's also part of the game. What are you going to use it for? Do you want to be a victim, and do you want to do bad stuff? Or do you want to have a look at what the possibilities are and run with that? We're at choice.
1: Also in your work, you talk about having a positive thinking. and again, uh, for the audience knows I am a uh, what do you call it a rapid cycler manic the worst of the worst, but I have like I said i've I've had years of just wonder. These two extremes are me are not my best friends now, and uh, we meet in the middle and we just we go for the ride. but again, Negative thinking when I would be down in those those old days was really really hard, and of course, even now, uh, um, what do you call it? Imposter syndrome still haunts me. So, what do you tell people about negative feelings and imposter syndrome? Let's
2: go to imposter syndrome first. Sure, because I love imposter syndrome. Here's the deal: you're not an imposter; you're a pioneer. You may not have the answers, but you're willing to go and look for them. And so it feels really scary because if you were this piece of this person, you'd have the answers. No, not true. You're not an imposter. You're a pioneer. So that's the first one. Now, what was the other one that you asked? Oh, the negative thinking. Here's a simple explanation for why I say positive and possibility thinking is so important. Negative thinking closes the door. Boom, you shut the heart. The, breath, the creative brain switches off, and the gut goes. <clears throat>. Positive thinking goes. Open heart. What's the possibility? And the gut goes. Okay, I'm your inner compass. Let's play. So you you can either achieve a state of negative alignment, in which case it's not going to go well, or you can achieve a state of positive alignment, in which case you're in for Quite
1: like the ride what about people who uh and i used to have an issue with this is of course and it's part of the imposter syndrome you get scared about success but you get scared about compliments you're like okay uh who's gonna pull the rug on me and and i'm false these days i'm like thank you that's it i'm so grateful somebody likes something i did and i move on
2: I'm so grateful that you touched on compliments, because when we cannot take compliments, we're doing two things. One is we're telling the person, you're a fool and you don't, you're not good enough in my world, you don't belong. So that's number one, don't forget it. But number two, if you're trying to look to see where you're evolving, and you keep shutting out positive feedback, you're plotting a really, really inaccurate graph. So you have no idea where you are or who you are. It's not smart. So taking a compliment is hugely important.
1: And negative criticism too, or just criticism. It's not really negative.
2: It's just criticism. And 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 of course, if there's criticism and you find it really affecting you, ask yourself, did it begin with me? Is it somebody else in the family? What what's this about? Why am I expressing this and what do I actually want to do with this?
1: And how do you see the state of affairs today? And when in your work, do you see any sort of marked difference between how women view the world and how men view the world? Or (laughs) what's going on? I mean, I would say the state of the union isn't very good for either side. Uh, We men, we're still, our suicide rates are high, our alcoholism rate, because we hold on to too much. Women, I think, are disassociating too much and uh, achieving mental issue rates like never before. So what do you think we need to do? <laughs> I think it's a loaded question.
2: I, I, well, no, i tell you what, I think we need to put Prozac in the water at the moment is what I think we need to do. We need everybody to just chill. Um, you know, we've we've swung pendulums for women and for men. Um and it, there are some really good things about it, but we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater in some cases. So men have an identity crisis, so do women. Uh, what did somebody say to me the other day? Um, what is this about women who, have to, who need to whine all the time? Why do they whine all the time because they work so hard and they've got to put food on the table? And, and it was a case of, yeah, but that's what we ask for. We asked for that, so so I don't. Yes, we're complaining, but all that we need to do is have a conversation and a readjustment. That's pretty much it. But again, it goes back to let's be negative, let's be negative, let's be. Why there's a lot of really good stuff that's happening, really good stuff. There are um, women are becoming more equal in some cases, not in all cases, as we've seen. But we're starting to have conversations around shifting to where fathers can be uh, better fathers. They get time to do that stuff. Uh, I watch this generation coming up, and I see fathers more involved than I think I've ever seen them involved. And it's, it's rather lovely to see. I see women having careers they never dreamed of. Stop moaning. Look at what's good. And then adjust what you what isn't working, but don't make it so bad that you've got to sit and cry. It's, why? <laughs> it's called stop, look, correct, take action. Stop, look, correct, take action. That's all.
1: And as I say. Um work speaking of ancestor work uh, let me know if you agree but yeah if you want to work things with your ancestor stop thinking you're better than them that you're smarter that oh. we're a better society that you wouldn't have made the same decisions like you would have stood up to hitler or something you know stop trying to judge them and say we're just more enlightened
2: yeah i would say stop trying to judge them i would say thank them because guess what exactly the way that they were or are Is the reason that you are the way that you are and are becoming if it wasn't for them you didn't even exist you might try saying thank you sometime it's like (laughs) this other one that i think i often bump into where i hear people saying those old white men and i go just hold on they created the world that you enjoy right now a thank you would be really nice you might have a different version or a different chapter in mind but an acknowledgement of what got you here is going to be really, really helpful. Because if you don't, and you reject, you also, anything you reject, you cut away as a source of information that you could use. So don't do that stuff.
1: Yeah, and if you don't like it, um, create a better world. Show these old white men, these ancestors, they'll be very happy wherever they are. They'll be like, yeah, you did better.
2: They're the ones who set it in motion you may be taking the next step, but yeah, be, acknowledge, acknowledge. It's not that you have to love it, but acknowledge. Yeah, and look at, at a very obvious one where you, you look at the uh, generations. Growing up, it was spare the rod and spoil the child. Now it's, oh, don't touch, you evil person. Whoa, hold on. We had two different references right there. It doesn't make the one right or the other one right. I look at some of the kids these days and I go, can you please just give them some frame of reference please i look at parents who say should never say no and i'm like (laughs) no is also a complete sentence
1: (laughs) yeah it's uh again yeah know your history be aware and you judy also work with companies too and uh, i have uh friends uh but the scholars and others who work for companies to uh psychologize companies because i'm sure as we both know there's can be nothing as psychotic as narcissistic as sociopathic as a company as a collective so how do you help these companies stop doing evil things (laughs) so
2: what we do is we look at what's the issue where did it come from uh how high up is the issue when did it start what what was the precipitating event Because again, the precipitating event was a solution for something. So that's now outlived its use. And all it's saying is now I'm becoming obnoxious because you're not paying attention. And so we look at that and then we, first of all, acknowledge what got the company this far. And then we add. All you're doing is adding a new chapter. No chapter is better than the previous one, each chapter has different tools and resources. So what we do is we go in, we have a look at the patterns, we see where they came from, what their effects are, and what needs to be changed or added.
1: What is the goal for this, Judy? You're talking about uh, uh, bettering the culture or what exactly, what's the goal to oh, make it?
2: depends. Sometimes it's bettering the culture. Sometimes I'm working directly, directly with executives so that we can create visionary leaders. And sometimes it's, hey, we've got an issue and none of us can figure it out. And because I do this thing called a constellation where I dimensionalize everything, what I do is I come in and we either use pieces of paper or live representatives so that they can see it, hear it, touch it, and they're literally working with it in 3D. Um, Maybe it's a product that they want to introduce. How's that going to go? Will it work? Will it not work? And by by placing it in in three D, they can actually see and go, yeah, no, that group's going to really be set off if we do this. So it gives them a much different experience.
1: And does your work also um, deal with a company's ancestors, or at least finding out exactly. what their source mythology was, yep. what the original yep. founder wanted to what do, was sort the of? Big yeah.
2: Why? Who was the big founder? Are they still part of the culture? Are they remembered? Who was excluded? What effect has that had on on people? Um, There are some big companies where the original founder is excluded. And then I hear things like, well, you know, we never quite know where we belong. Oh, no surprise there, because you've excluded that and now everybody's out of order.
1: Yeah, the founder's mm-hmm. like an ancestor. His voice will oh, reverberate reverberate in the walls and the people. So
2: it's in the DNA of the company.
1: And this can also include people. I mean, I think uh America as a whole needs to get back into it as I say As we're talking, just reconcile. Reconcile the trauma of the past, what happened, and let's move on to something better instead we've of got to,
2: yeah, we've being got being a get victim. Our, yeah, we've got to quit the victim. We've got to, and we've got to get out of the blame, shame, name game. We have to. What we've got to do is when a, here's the deal it's your ancestors. You cannot take on their burdens. It's just systemically, it's well studied. You cannot. So I cannot pay for the sins of of all of those who did whatever they did back there. And you cannot benefit from all of the ones or, or try and ask for whatever it is there. What we can do is look at each other and go, what did we learn? What did we learn? How do we move forward? That's how you do it. Trying to balance and leverage and it, it it doesn't work and it can't work, but seeing and acknowledging and then choosing differently that works.
1: What? And so if somebody wants to work with you, Judy, uh, I guess they can of course look at your book, uh, Your book is, uh, I've got it right here, Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint. I've got actually the whole thing open here. Or they can work with you one-on-one or uh, what do you?
2: So they can work with me one-on-one. They can can find me via my website. They can read the book. I have two meditations that will actually take them through a constellation. And then if they want to experience what it's like to rewire in, in real time, That's when they come to Disney World in November. It's November 5 through 8 at Disney World. And uh, that's when we take four days. And we work from 8 until 4. And we look at your money DNA, where it came from, how it affects you, what you're going to do with that money DNA. And you begin to rewire in real time. So you're going to be transforming all the time. You're having those ahas. People come out at the end of the day and we send them into the parks and instead of them going, I'm exhausted, my soul's been working hard, they get to go and plan. They're like, yeah, and then we do it all over again.
1: That's awesome. and makes sense because uh, the whole idea of uh, working your trauma, listening to your ancestors, uh, or as Jung said, integrating your shadow Yes, it's a huge burden. You're lighter. You're smarter. You're uh, just uh...
2: you're evolving. You're growing. If you're not growing, you're slowing.
1: And you, and of course, you. What can we do not to hand it over to our children? We work on hours, and do you also prevent from us acquiring new things here because <laughs> uh, in the future something traumatic might happen to me. How do I know, you know, if I get in a car wreck in a month and I'm hurt and somehow I pass it on, how do you recognize that I'm creating this? So
2: what you do is you start learning that in the moment you ask yourself, and I've been there, in the moment when the trauma is happening, what do I need to think right now? What do I need to feel right now? What action do I need to take right now? So you become very mindful in the moment. And then as it's going through, what can I learn from this? What strength can I use right now? Now you're teaching yourself to move through this without being, instead of being traumatized, you're strengthened.
1: Awesome. Well, I will have it on the show notes, your website, but please tell the audience uh, what your website is or where would you like them to go?
2: Two places. I would love them to go to judywilkins-smith.com and I would absolutely love to see them at Disney World. So they can come play work transform and that is november the 5th through the 8th and they'll find the information on the website
1: well check it out uh it's good stuff and i highly recommend it well judy thank you very much for coming on finding hermes uh, it's been a delight and good luck with all your work
2: thank you so much it's been lovely to be with you what fun
1: likewise and there you have it judy providing a treasure chest of tools for our growth and our healing. I hope you don't mind that I am including you here in my walk, I do many of these a today. My Artemis walks through the trails um, so I can connect with the spirit and uh, basically still myself. And I think that's an important thing and I'll get to it. But yes, uh, it is amazing that Even if we don't include the the programming of society, mass media and so forth, always talking to us, even if we don't include the inner voice of our soul, our complex, the shadow and all that, we still there's still even more voices. We got the voices of our ancestors and we didn't even get into reincarnation. Uh, if you believe in that doctrine, then there are past lives. Your past lives are talking to you and their trauma too. So I guess the we were kind of right that it is indeed a busy universe out there. Or more like uh, if we're housed in the universe, the universe is housed in us. And it is extremely busy universe. That's why uh, whenever I talk about the inner journey... I always like to say that part of it, part of the inner journey is the stillness, the quietude. Whether you get that through meditation, hypnosis, contemplation, walks, nice little walks like this one without the phone. It's an extremely important thing. And why is that? Because we need to learn to listen. Uh, I'm starting to think the more and more I think about it. I'm starting to realize that enlightenment simply means being a good listener. That's it. Listening to the myriad of voices that are coming us into the universe. And yes, they certainly bring wisdom. They certainly bring revelation. But more important than that, we just have to listen to them. We want to listen to our trauma just as we want to listen to our ancestors. And these stories, whether it's from our ancestor, or from our childhood self, can help our story. Everybody wants a seat at the table. All these voices want a seat at the table. And it's our job, if we are to become individuated, to simply listen. And yes, be good at relating those stories. Be a good storyteller. Might be the other component of being enlightened. Oh, before I continue, I wanted to show you something. Uh, Again, I live in an odd place that's like uh, these towns and neighborhoods nestled between all these preserves in northern Illinois. If you can see this, uh, this patch of field, it goes for about, well, at least a quarter of a mile and half a mile, and it keeps going that way. And it seems all nice and quiet, right? Well, if there is a distant siren or maybe a distant howl of a dog you'll suddenly hear like 40 uh, howls answering back. Yes, in other words, it's full of coyotes and it's, uh, it's a very intense feeling when that happens. But uh, worry not, uh, the coyotes are mostly peaceful. They're safe and effective and they're part of this place. And I'm glad I'm here with these walks with uh, Artemis, the coyote, the trickster and Elvis. Yes, jamming to Elvis out here. It's amazing. But anyway, in the Gospel of Thomas, there is a section where the apostles ask Jesus, what is the evidence of divinity within you? And Jesus answers, it's a motion and a rest. And a lot of the translations can be a movement and a meditation. So that's the part of enlightenment I'm talking about. We do what we must do to expand our consciousness, to see behind the veil, but we also must stop and listen, see what's going on in our inner universe, which is vast, as you're starting to see. In uh, certain Gnostic texts, and Hermetic texts too, you've got a hierophant, whether it's uh, Jesus or Hermes. And the hierophant will be talking about all this... Highfaluting philosophy and providing mystic prayers and getting all you know the crowd to uh, get ready to go on an altered state of mind or astral travel but all of a sudden the hierophant will stop and say Shh, all right now be quiet just be quiet just listen and this is a, a very important part of the whole uh, again, the whole Gnosis, if you would, a movement and a meditation, a motion and a rest. Be quiet. Listen to the ancestors. Listen to uh, your childhood self. Listen to all the voices from other lives, and you're going to be fine. You're going to do great. Even in the Valentinian uh, cosmology, the Great Mother is known as CJ or Silence. Because this this definitely represents the idea that silence is one of the great states of being in all of creation. So I think that's about it, really. I hope you're enjoying my little uh, Artemis walk, my touching of grass, if you would. And uh, great stuff coming in the future on finding Hermes and bite. We're just getting started and we're just walking through those doors. Oh, I wanted to show you something else. A little sharing. Let me see if I can show you. I don't even know who did this. Some drug addicts or whatever. This is uh, sort of a, a pit where I do a lot of the prayers to Artemis and uh, little, uh, you might say, sacrifices, sigils and stuff like that. Don't worry, no animals will ever be hurt in my rituals to Artemis out here in nature. But anyway, thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real, as I say on Bite, And I look forward to seeing you in another Finding Hermes. Let's walk through some more doors in silence a movement and a meditation enlightenment is just listening and relating those stories